MH Productions presents a limited series, Time for Trish. We're your hosts, Connor and Dove. While Grafton, New Hampshire is definitely not a dense city, it does have a lot more going on than the much more rural parts of New Hampshire. On January 28th, 2018, Trish's friend Becky drove Trish to a convenience store in a town north of Grafton. Trish assured Becky she would only be staying for a few weeks max, you know, just for a change of scenery since her court date had been pushed back. She went and stayed with this wonderful girl, Becky, that lived on the mountain in Romney. There was no cell service there. Trish was stuck in the house all day long while Becky was working. And so she decided, you know, she contacted this Ashley Ruff. Now, who would have thought Ashley was the same bully at 25 as she was when she was 12? Becky said her goodbyes to Trish as she watched her friend climb in a red minivan. When Trish informed her family she would be staying in Grafton for a few weeks, they were not thrilled about the idea of her staying with Ashley, but they did find some comfort in knowing they would hear more regularly from her now. Trish always kept in close contact with her loved ones, especially her grandmother. Sure, moving around can be a busy time, but in the weeks after Trish should have been settled in, her communication was dwindling. Calls were infrequent, if even at all. This was out of character for Trish. Her family caught on early to the fact that something was simply not adding up. Trish had been eager to move to Grafton, mostly for the purpose of having better access to cell phone service and to Wi-Fi. Almost immediately after she moved, her cell phone went missing. Trish was now reliant on Ashley's phone to communicate with her loved ones. And while this struck her family members as odd, they tried to be hopeful. Trish's social security check would be arriving soon, and it would definitely cover the cost of a new phone. She went there in January. By February, she had no cell phone. Now, Trish lived on disability, and... By February, she would have had money enough again to buy a phone, and she never got another phone. The phone disappeared, never had another one. So the only time she could even talk a little bit on the phone was if Ashley used her phone and she stood right there and listened to her. All her communication with her family came through Ashley's phone. And have you ever heard a phone conversation or been on a phone conversation and switched to a coded style of speaking because someone you didn't want listening was nearby? This is how we imagine Trish's phone calls sounded based on what her family has described. It was clear that Ashley was close to Trish when she spoke. Perhaps her ear was pinned to the receiver, or maybe the calls were made on speaker. This level of coercion on the part of Ashley was alarming to Trish's loved ones. Why was she distancing herself from them? What was going on in Grafton? Not only was her communication becoming less and less frequent, her personality was changing as well. She seemed timid. What was she afraid of, and who was near her when she made those calls? The news station WMUR has conducted multiple interviews with Trish's loved ones over the years regarding her case. One woman who was interviewed told the reporter that she had seen Trish around the spring of 2018, and that Trish had appeared disheveled, never looking up or making eye contact with anyone else. Neither of us have degrees in psychology, so we are not here to make definitive diagnoses, but the process of putting together 
this series, we've read numerous academic publications about the connections between eye contact and trauma processing. The stories of Trish from friends and family before she went to New Hampshire for a court hearing are in stark contrast to the descriptions shared by those who encountered her in Grafton. Why was Trish acting so differently? In May of 2018, Sandy was finally able to talk to Trish on the phone. It was clear, though, that Ashley was pressuring Trish to finish the call. Part of Sandy was relieved to hear her granddaughter's voice. But before she could really catch up with Trish, Sandy could hear Ashley in the background rushing Trish to hang up. It was May. At the very least, Sandy wanted to hear from Trish about how the case went. Would she be returning to Florida soon? Her questions went without answers when she heard the receiver click. When Sandy updated Val about what happened, Val knew she needed to find out the truth. Had Trish even attended her hearing? Trish's loved ones were quick to put together potential scenarios. Perhaps Trish had rekindled her relationship with her ex-boyfriend. Healing from an abusive relationship isn't always linear, and sometimes it takes a survivor multiple attempts to fully cut contact, and even though they should never feel ashamed, many who return to an abusive partner feel embarrassed. If Trish was in the area, Val considered, maybe Trish and he were seeing each other again, and Trish just wanted to keep it to herself. Val decided the only way to find out would be to contact Chris directly. He wished he could help her, but Chris informed Val that he hadn't been in any contact with Trish, let alone seen her in months. Neither Sandy nor Val had heard from Trish directly since the middle of May. And it was now the middle of summer, which is when Val returned to her New Hampshire home. So she used this opportunity to start her own investigation, but it was quick to hit dead ends. Nobody really knew Trish or had even heard of her in the rural New Hampshire area. Grafton had only a slightly bigger population than North Woodstock, sure, but someone must have encountered Trish over the course of the last six months. While Val was searching for answers in New Hampshire, Sandy was sporadically receiving texts from Ashley's phone. Texts that Ashley claimed were from Trish. To those listening right now, think of how you personally text or even speak to your loved ones. Are there certain emojis you use? Do you shorten your words? Maybe write all lowercase? We all have distinct patterns of how we communicate, even over text. Sandy had raised her granddaughter. She knew how she communicated and could easily tell that it was not Trish on the other end of the phone sending the messages. Each time Ashley responded to Sandy's messages, the story seemed to change. Trish was away. Trish had a new boyfriend. Trish had moved to a new state. Finally, Ashley told Sandy that Trish was just not interested in speaking with her grandmother anymore. Sandy decided that she would make an ultimatum with Ashley. She would agree to stop contacting Trish, but only if Trish herself told her directly over the phone. Ashley, perhaps believing herself to be two steps ahead of everyone until that moment, was now confronted with a problem. Rather than hand the phone over to Trish, she began to stall, threatening Trish's loved ones when they told her they were ready to report Trish as a missing person. So finally, uh, Sandy said, you tell Trish. If she does not want to have anything to do with the family, I need to hear that out of her own mouth. Right. And or else I'm going to file a, a missing person report. And Ashley said, if you file a missing person report, I can guarantee you'll never see your granddaughter again. During their conversations, one of the things that Ashley told Sandy was that she had just finished a stay at a psychiatric ward. Mental health is real, 
Those suffering from mental health problems deserve empathy and support. And maybe Ashley's stay in the hospital is unrelated to her relationship with Trish. We do not have an explicit answer from Ashley. But it was strange timing to hear Trish had disappeared and shortly after, Ashley checked herself into a mental health facility. Again, it is not our job to speculate, but we think the timeline here may reveal things that will become clearer as we continue telling this story. If you remember back to episode one, Trisha's family knew that she was on long-term disability and received assistance from the government. If her family could not get in direct contact with her, they would try to verify if she was at least cashing in on her checks. A little over two weeks before Trisha's 26th birthday, her grandmother reported her missing to the Northwood Stock Police. Trish Danielle Haynes was now considered a missing person in the state of New Hampshire. Val and Sandy were quick to connect with Social Security to stop her checks from coming in. Given that this was currently her sole form of income, if the checks stopped, tr- certainly Trish would be forced to contact friends and family for help. When they heard nothing from Trish in the days, weeks, months after her checks halted, the family feared the worst may be true. And when they were searching, I said, the first thing you got to do is stop the Social Security check because if the Social Security is not going to come in, she might come out of hiding to look for the check. And when August came and she had not been out to look for her check, we knew that there was something seriously wrong. If you have heard of Trisha's case before this series, you are probably familiar with the infamous WMUR interview that Ashley did in the months after Trish was reported missing. Her body language is off and her expression is vacant. If the sound was muted, it would be easy for someone watching to assume Ashley was speaking about a town election or a summer heat wave. Those who know both Trish and Ashley immediately honed in on Ashley's strange posture and failing memory. She claimed that she could not remember the last time, let alone month, that she had seen Trish. Yet she said on local New England news that Trish was her best friend. When asked about the last time she saw Trish, Ashley told the news reporter, quote, July or June maybe, I'm not good with dates, end quote. We have interviewed multiple people for this series, and that one comment struck many of them as bizarre. You know, again, where I have known Ashley for a very long time, I got a, I had a really bad feeling watching that interview. When, you know, when I saw that interview, my first gut instinct was that Trish was not going to be found alive. Trish was not Ashley's best friend, ever. In fact, Trish had allegedly been bullied by Ashley in high school. Trish told her loved ones that Ashley had promised her she was a new person now. She had kids, a car, she had grown up. Ashley had agreed to give Trish a place to stay in exchange for Trish's help with childcare. And Trish, with her heart on her sleeve, believed every word Ashley said. The summer months came to a close with no updates to Trisha's case. The WMUR camera zoomed in on the sign outside the property where Trish was last known to be staying. A no hunting, no trespassing sign, and a keep out sign, both nailed to a wooden post outside the property. There was something eerie about the crooked street number nailed to the same post. All of the known areas associated with Ashley were searched as well. On August 28, 2018, New England Channel News released the following bulletin. Quote, 
authorities are asking the public to help find a missing New Hampshire woman. The New Hampshire Attorney General's office says 26-year-old Trish Haynes was last seen in the Grafton and Danbury area in late June or early July. Haynes is described as being about 5'6 and 110 pounds with brown hair and brown eyes, end quote. The authorities refused to comment on if any foul play was suspected. A week or so later, in the beginning of September 2018, a tip came into police to search the Grafton Pond. It feels almost misleading to name it Grafton Pond, given how large of an area it is. According to the Forest Society, quote, Grafton Pond is a 300-plus acre lake with an almost entirely undeveloped shoreline. There are numerous bays and uninhabited islands to explore, offering excellent swimming, fishing, and wildlife watching opportunities, end quote. While people do come to explore, maybe kayak or take a quick dip in the water, it is easy to avoid interacting with other people if you so choose. The authorities began searching the pond as well as flying helicopters over Warner, New Hampshire, a town just south of Grafton, where both Trish and Ashley attended school. On September 5, 2018, WMUR reported that crates had been pulled from Grafton Pond in direct connection with the disappearance of Trish Haynes. The crates were actually a washer and dryer, both pulled from the depths of Grafton Pond. What had happened to Trish, and why was her case now connected to the discovery of these abandoned appliances? On that day, human remains were found inside the washer and dryer, more specifically a jawbone. The authorities needed DNA from a family member related to Trish in order to test the findings. When Sandy received a call from police to provide a DNA sample, she did not hesitate for a moment. She would do anything to help locate her missing granddaughter and learn the answers about what happened to her. When authorities informed her of the discovery, she had to swear to keep it to herself. It would be tough to hear, they warned her. She promised to keep it a secret on the condition that she could at least tell Val, who had already been deeply involved in the search for Trish by this point. The police agreed to the request, but Val was it. She couldn't tell another person. Sandy learned in the early fall of 2018 that her granddaughter Trish was dead. She was the victim of foul play and had been brutally dismembered. Writing this piece of Trish's story was difficult for us. We cannot even fathom how her grandmother and great-aunt processed the information that they had learned. According to the agreement with the authorities, this meant that Sandy could not tell Trish's close friends, her loved ones, or even Trish's biological mother, Megan. Nobody should ever have to carry a secret like that. Sandy and Val's strength is unmatched. They hoped the authorities would use the time to further the investigation. If they had to keep such a heavy piece of information to themselves, they at least wanted the investigation to progress as a result. They waited for months and months, until nearly a year later, on July 10th, 2019, when the Attorney General issued a press release. The press release read the following, quote, Miss Haynes was reported missing last year. She was last seen in the Grafton, Danbury, New Hampshire area in May of June of 2018. Since then, authorities have been investigating the circumstances of her disappearance. During the course of the investigation, human remains were discovered in Grafton, New Hampshire. New Hampshire Chief Medical Examiner Dr. Jenny V. Duval conducted an autopsy on those remains and has identified the deceased as Trish Haynes. Dr. Duval also determined that Miss Haynes was the victim of a homicide. End quote. 
This statement, the wait for justice, all of it should have been the beginning of a movement toward closure for the family. Now, with a year having passed, they were no closer to answers, yet they had dozens of new questions.